At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American health care. Today's episode centers around a physician who really wanted to incorporate a lot of aspects of her faith into her practice and met some challenges along the way. So without much uh, further ado from me, please welcome Dr. Holly Smith, physician and owner of Fiat Family Medicine, a membership-based practice located on the north side of Indianapolis. Dr. Smith, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. It is a pleasure to have you on. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Chris. Now, what I wanted to lead off with was the elements of you know, your strong Catholic faith in the practice of medicine. And it's kind of a deep subject. And, you know, here on Healthcare Americana, we're all about those hard-hitting, thoughtful (laughs) discussions. But it's a topic that we really haven't spent a lot of time on. And it seems timely with today's, you know, political and, and medical environment that so many times physicians are asked to set their faith aside in order to care for people. And there's pros and cons to that. But give me kind of your background and, and your aspect on um, or your, kind of your take on that conversation of incorporating your faith into the practice of medicine. Yeah. So I'm actually an, an adult convert to the faith. So I um, didn't grow up particularly religious and uh, when I met my husband and we started dating, he grew up Catholic. And so that's really what kind of got me interested, right? Um, you want to find things that you can both have uh, similar ground on. And I was, I was curious about that. So starting to, you know, look into that. This was during my undergraduate studies at IUPUI and um, really kind of reasoned my way into the faith. I'm a very kind of type A rational person. Uh, You know, I like things to make sense and um, really kind of reasoned my way into that faith. So I converted before we uh, got married and knew very early on um, in marriage and in my faith that I was pursuing medical school at the time as well and knew that I wanted my faith to be a piece of my practice of medicine. But there really wasn't a lot of support at that time for how that should look or how to do that. Um, I really was kind of a, a pariah in some ways uh, in my my medical school training and in my residency training because my approach to medicine shouldn't be, but was quite radically different than a lot of my peers um, in terms of things that I you know maybe was willing to do or not willing to do. So it always kind of set me apart and I would say forged a little bit more difficult path in some ways because of kind of constantly having to defend defend that. But 
I will say it, it's made me stronger in my Christian faith as well, because I think those are good opportunities for evangelization to have really deep conversations, powerful conversations with people along the way and really give witness to a lot of my beliefs. Well, there's a lot of people in hospital situations that resort to prayer and, you know, there's some people recover, get better. Some people sack and say, you know what, this is the way things are here. So I, I want to touch upon, you, you mentioned the difficulties. And so you get out of school, you, you and your husband start a family, you go to work for a pretty major hospital system, regionally, maybe nationally, you know, nowadays. I'm curious about the difficulties that you encountered in your employment and how that contrasted with what patients were asking of you. Yeah, it it was hit or miss. I mean, there were good days and bad days. I, I will say this. I was very lucky. Um, I was employed by a very large secular uh, institution here locally. And the the particular office that I was in, I was very, very blessed to have people around me who maybe didn't agree with all of the things that I did or didn't do in the practice of medicine, but were all really good about supporting me and trying to make it work <laughs> within the the flows of medicine. So from that standpoint, I was really lucky to have that, that close-knit group around me. Um, but policy in general within those large institutions, and unfortunately not just the secular ones, they just really aren't supportive oftentimes, of freedom of conscience and things like that among physicians. So in particular, the the biggest issue that I ran into most frequently is, is surrounding birth control and contraception. You know, so in the Catholic faith, we believe more in natural family planning or fertility awareness, using the body's natural designs to plan around fertility and to space pregnancies according to that design, as opposed to using something artificial like contraceptive products or condoms or things like that. And those were always interesting conversations with patients. Uh, and again, those patients come up even when I was employed by a religious affiliated hospital here locally. Um, those conversations still come up with patients. So those are always challenging, but I can count on one hand the number of patient interactions that I've ever had where the patient came out you know, upset or angry or whatever. <laughs> and I will say the the organization did a decent job, the institution of trying to kind of filter some of that so that patients weren't, you know, landing on my schedule and not being served and however, you know, they needed to be served. Was there any point in time when you're sitting in your previous office and you're saying, you know, this isn't how I wanted to practice medicine. This, this isn't how I envisioned myself being a doctor and helping people? So many times, <laughs> so many times. Um, and, you know, that really, honestly, I would say that starts early, even in residency training. Um, you know, there are many times, and, and again, not just on the faith aspect of things or, you know, birth control or things like that, but dealing with, with insurance regulations or even just institutional policies or government criteria for things, check boxes, things like that. Just so many times thinking, why am I answering to these large organizations when really the patient in front of me is they're telling me what they need and what they want, but I can't get that for them. Or, you know, I have pressures coming from other directions that are competing with the autonomy of the patient. So many, many times. And that's interesting because 
you didn't grow up knowing that you're going to be a doctor. And this was always this conversation always fascinates me because I, I enjoy talking to people who are like, you know, this is a lifelong calling. And, you know, ever since I was two, I was I was putting a little toy stethoscope on dolls. But that wasn't you. You were actually out there. You know, you decided on medicine when you're already in college and you tried a couple of different areas of studies. And to me, that's always very, very fascinating when people go out there and, and they, they have that diversity of experience and then finally settle on something that they wanted to do for the rest of your life. So going back to what you just said of there are so many times where my hands were tied. This isn't you know how I wanted to practice medicine. But yet you got into medicine relatively late considered, you know, in terms of, of comparing to your peers. How did that play with you mentally, psychologically saying Okay, I, I've experienced other things. I know I want to be a doctor now because nothing else really clicked. So you go to medical and now, you, yeah, you can't be the doctor you wanted. So how did that play out internally for you? Yeah, well, it's really frustrating because, well, <laughs> medical school is expensive. <laughs> medical training is really expensive. I mean, it's quite an investment, not only with with time, but financially as well. And I know a lot of my, my peers and colleagues have expressed this, that, you know, you get so far into medical training and there is no turning back. <laughs> like you're, you're far enough into debt that you kind of have to go forward with it regardless. And so I had a few of those moments where it was like, gosh, is this really what, did I pick correctly? Is this really what I'm being called to do? And this is, again, where my faith comes in to this I can see with more clarity now, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Uh, the Holy Spirit was at work in my life far before I realized that this was all in his plans. You know, I don't have the the typical story of, you know, playing with stethoscopes and wanting to be a doctor when I was little. I really, honestly, my story's pretty boring. I decided to become a doctor one day because it just felt right. <laughs> like I didn't have a better story than that. And the only way that I can explain that now is looking back, it really was the Holy Spirit prodding me into that and has given me gifts that he wants me to share with other people in relationship with other people. And and so that has been challenging, but I think resting on my faith and knowing the Lord ultimately has a plan for me and my practice. And, and again, now with Fiat, um, with my own practice and kind of seeing how he's been shaping me for that, a lot of that now makes sense. But in the moment was was very frustrating trying to understand where this was going and why <laughs> why I was doing this to myself. We're talking with Dr. Holly Smith, physician and owner of Fiat Family Medicine, membership-based practice or direct primary care for those of you in the industry out there. You mentioned Fiat Family Medicine and your relatively new practice, worked with Freedom Health, works at your practice up and going there. How's the, how's the response been from you know, your previous patients from your community, from your faith community. How's it going? It's been a phenomenal blessing. Um, and I'm just so glad, Chris, you know, we had early conversations back at the beginning of the year. I had a lot of cold feet and a lot of fears <laughs> going into this. Um, and I'm just, I'm very grateful for your confidence and your encouragement along the way, because it has been such a blessing. I've just been overwhelmed with support, you know, whether that's Patients, even patients, previous patients of mine who maybe aren't able or aren't willing or for whatever reason can't follow me, even people that stopped by my open house and, you know, brought, sent cards and brought flowers and just congratulated me. It's, it's been great. It's been really, really wonderful. 
I, I appreciate the kind words, but I think all I all I did and all, all our team did was kind of give you that push. You were already there. You already said that, right? You did. You were already there. Oh, I was. Yeah, I I was ready to jump. I just needed a little nudge. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people it's not a leap of faith. It's a step by step, very carefully curated path uh, along the way. But you know, you you are in a position where you do have a larger family according to today's standards, and so I'm sure that was scary for you. What's your advice to physicians in the same kind of boat as you saying, look, I, I I, can't really afford an income interruption, yet I'm miserable at work. I have kids that depend on me. What do you say to them? Yeah, I well, it, it, there's a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> and, I, you know, I think companies out there like Freedom Health Works, people who are willing to, to help you along the way, that strategy is so key. You know, being able to have that quick 90-day well, really shorter than that between my last employment and when I opened, it was really an 18-day turnaround. And that was by my choice, really. I wanted to take a little break uh, for a couple of weeks. But really, that rapid turnaround freedom was really instrumental in making that happen. So I'm grateful for that. But it really is it really is doable. We have five children at home. My husband works part-time at the kids' school. So being the breadwinner, there was a lot of pressure in that, but I just, again, would give the encouragement. It is doable. Find supports around you. Talk to people who have done it, like myself. I'm always willing to talk to others about my journey and what those details look like. I'm an open book. I would argue that most DPC physicians out there, direct primary care doctors, are willing to have those conversations and willing to help however we can. 18 days. I mean, yeah. I, I, I want to focus in on that because <laughs> I think a lot of people, whether they work with you know uh, somebody like us, or like Freedom Health Works or not, I think that's something remarkable because you basically spooled up a kind of a mid-career switch, a second career, yet you were able to build a practice in the background. And then once you're done with previous employment, you get your last paycheck there. You kind of relax a little bit, get to enjoy the family, and then it's back into a brand new business that's ready, ready, willing, and able, you know, just to accept new patients and, and open for business there. So I, I appreciate you sharing with it. I think that's something that I'll that a lot of people just miss. They're thinking, oh man, I'm going to, you know, have to be destitute for two years. And it's just not reality. <laughs> it's not like that. No, it's not like that. Dr. Smith, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear back from our title sponsor, Freedom HealthWorks. If you're struggling to convert interested people into members of your direct care practice, you are not alone. The top challenge reported in direct care is patient sales. Whether you dread potential patient calls because sales just makes you uncomfortable or because you are simply occupied with taking care of people, Freedom has a solution for you. Enter the Freedom HealthWorks Enrollment Desk, which includes a dedicated patient sales team for your practice across all U.S. time zones, live data measuring your total calls, leads, conversions, answer rates, and more, and full prospect tracking from first contact through membership so nobody ever slips through the cracks. Contact Freedom HealthWorks at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com to chat with a team member or schedule a demo. Now we are back to our regularly scheduled programming. Dr. Holly Smith with Fiat Family Medicine. So Dr. Smith, in, in addition to having your own private practice and, and a very extensive uh, faith and then a larger family, you also uh, decided to join one of our longtime sponsors and great people, the Free Market Medical Association. What was your rationale uh, with joining an organization that is looking to really help people, I guess, show the world that there is an option. There's a choice when it comes to U.S. healthcare. 
Yeah, it, well, my husband was instrumental in a lot of that. Um, he does a lot of the research and kind of presents things to me. And this was one of those things that he had researched and just really felt like it was really important for us to, to be a part of this movement. And a lot of that really comes back to just patient autonomy and you know the desire for more transparency in healthcare, the desire for more choice <laughs> in healthcare, how we get to spend our healthcare dollars, whether that's with insurance, without insurance. And then, you know, for me, something that was really eye-opening in the practice launch process and something that I had a really hard time in my previous employment kind of sticking it out those last couple months was realizing how what a discrepancy there is in charges in different areas of medicine. So for example, you go to the lab and have your blood work drawn, right? And what the difference in pricing is between like a practice like mine who has a negotiated price with the lab, which is very, very inexpensive to run blood work versus the several hundred dollars often that gets billed to people's insurance and then oftentimes denied or subject to their deductible and then balance billed. And so again, just kind of that really seeking and wanting to encourage more of that transparency in medicine and just the ability to empower people with knowledge and with choice when it comes to their healthcare. That was very well said. I, and it's a great organization. And, and a lot of times it's when, when I talk about it to people, they're like, wow, I didn't even know this existed. I didn't even know you could go out and buy Physician services, medical care without insurance. I didn't know that there were other companies helping support this. I didn't know that medical care was cheaper when I don't have to use my third-party insurance. It's fascinating to just kind of open people's eyes to this and just hit that switch kind of in their brains and say, oh, wow, this this is actually – and I use the word better very with a lot of restraint because that's always a debate, right? There's a different way to do things, and for a lot of people, it is better, and that's just – that's just flat out. So do you hear any of that uh, when, when you talk to patients, either for the first time or they finally get it? They have that light bulb aha moment. They're like, holy cow, I don't have to have a really crappy experience every time I'm sick and, and need to go see a doctor. Yes. Yeah, all the time. Um, and that I mean, that's something that's also been just really encouraging and a big blessing is, you know, just <laughs> even last night, I actually had a, a patient I had to be home to cook dinner, and so I, you know, I couldn't wait around at the office, but she had a sick kid. It's a family, granted, that we've known for a while, but I said, hey, you know, I texted her, and I said, hey, can you swing the child by my house at some point this evening, and I'm happy to take a look in her ear and get you taken care of, and so an hour later, I'm getting dinner on the table, and she swings by, and sure enough, the child had an ear infection, and I was like, as soon as dinner's over, I'll log onto the computer and send the antibiotics in, and I'll check on her tomorrow. And so just the ability and, and that, that feedback on care and just how much simpler it is for people, the fact that we don't nickel and dime them for everything. They don't, you know, they're like, wait, you froze my warts off. There's no extra charge. I don't owe you anything. No, that's just, that's part of your primary care. It's simple. <laughs> it's simple and it's not expensive. So all the time we get that feedback from people. I love it. I love it. Is there anybody um, that you think, and, and I love patient stories, like I grew up with patient stories, right? Like, yeah. it, it's amazing how a physician can touch and change so many different people's lives in their community. Is there any examples where people, you know, kind of joined skeptical and thought, hey, this is too good to be true. And then they would start realizing that it's real. And they're like, holy cow, this, this is better than I even ever expected. Yeah, I, I think most of those stories are 
parents with young kids who are used to pediatrics offices that are very busy and very packed and, you know, they they call and they have to wait four to 24 hours for a call back. You know, maybe they have a simple question or just need some reassurance or maybe they do need to be seen. And just that ease of communication and, again, sometimes it's just reassurance or some simple instructions over the phone. Sometimes it is, hey, swing by at lunchtime and I'll take a quick look. I think parents have been the most skeptical up front and then the most pleased after the fact. I've had a few adults as well. Again, I've kept quite a few people out of the urgent care, out of the emergency room. Again, just with simple text messages back and forth. I have another story I love to tell of uh, um, one of my one of my favorites who she sent me a text message at dinner one night. All she said was, do I go to the urgent care or the ER? I slice the end of my finger off. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, first of all, I need a picture of this, right? <laughs> like, does, like, how bad Heck is yeah, it? Yeah, I need a picture of that. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm like, are you okay? So she sends me a picture of it. And really, I was like, you don't need the urgent care or the emergency room. Here's how to bandage it up, you know. And we just communicated every couple of days with some pictures and stuff over the next few days. And she healed up just fine. But that would have been somebody who definitely would have gotten a, you know, several hundred dollar emergency room bill because she didn't know. And that's okay. That's what I'm here for. Lots of stories like that. It's like, she's like, do I need to go to the ER to get stitches? And your response is, there's nothing to stitch No, it's okay. (laughs) We'll just bandage it. Yep, it's okay. It's not quite a a lizard to grow its tail, but, you know, the tip of the finger will probably (laughs) come back. It did just fine. (laughs) I I love that that you brought that up from 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 a parent standpoint with children. I mean... I lived it, right? And, and I tell you know my friends and, and family, I'm like, I don't understand how people, or first-time parents especially, like, I don't know how you get through it without a physician who is on speed dial and on your side, right? And you're not going through a carousel because they actually know the baby and they know these things. And it's, are the, is the baby prone to earaches? Is, you know, what else is going on? And, and you know, it's funny because when we talk to physicians about pricing structures and especially the family docs to say, you know, I, I want to charge a really low price for kids and then higher as they get older. You know, I kind of kind of tongue in cheek say, you know, those those really young babies are going to be the most complex. Like they're going to they're going to work here, right? To try to figure out what's going on. They take a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Not always, but yeah. And then, you know, grandma and grandpa, like love them dearly, but they're probably on the same medication for a while there. So it doesn't take as <laughs> much brain power to kind of figure things out. And again, that's overgeneralized, but for sure. But that's kind of the running joke around us when we look at, at pricing strategy and pricing theories. But yeah, for all the young parents out there, gosh, you've heard me say this before, it, having a doctor on speed dial, and it's, it's the peace of mind. It's all psychological at that point in time, because the baby's probably going to be okay in most instances, but when she's screaming in the middle of the night, you don't know what's going on. You're, you're stressed. You don't, you're tired. Yeah. Even though, yeah, just those quick words of encouragement can yeah. mean a lot to people. Yeah. The best, uh, the best three words a parent can ever hear from their doctor is this is normal. I think that's yes. it. <laughs> and then you're going to yes. be fine. It will be okay. <laughs> the sleep doesn't come back, but well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to kind of take our lens and zoom out a little bit here as, as we wrap up the episode you know, kind of the final question for you. And this is, this is the big hitting one, right? And imagine that, imagine Congress calls you up and says, all right, Dr. Smith, we need a new healthcare plan. We got one day to institute it. You can put in anything that you want to, and we're going to do it. We're going to follow it. What do you say? Well, I think the, 
my initial gut reaction to that is, you know, there is no one plan for everybody. Unfortunately, it's it really isn't that simple. I think I I think that more of the faith-based and charity-based organizations, I would throw back at them. They they need to step up more than they are right now. I mean, that's where healthcare came from religious organizations. I mean, that's where, you know, the original kind of organized healthcare came from. Unfortunately, a lot of those institutions have kind of lost their mission or their way. So I think that would be a piece of it. I think keeping in mind, you know, that healthcare really doesn't need to be as complicated or as expensive as as it is. You know, insurance isn't the answer for everybody. I, I don't think that insurance should be the preventative or primary care that it's become. So I think that would be a piece of it as well, that insurance needs to kind of have its place more for the the big things. You know, there are people who need insurance and they need healthcare coverage for certain conditions and emergencies and things like that. But that shouldn't be the overarching goal or coverage. I don't know. Those would be my initial thoughts. But I th- again, I think the simplest thing is to say there, I don't think there is one right answer for everybody. I think it needs to be a mix, but I think we need to have more choice than we do. And I think there needs to be a little bit more competition in the, the medical and the insurance worlds. I think that would drive price down. So are you saying that, that you, you doubt a single solution is going to come from Washington, D.C. that's going to make everybody happy and work for everybody? You are correct. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> that's <laughs> not a trick question. There's no single I, solution that's going to make everybody happy. Yeah. No, no. And, and that's why I kind of, it kind of makes me think when people say, well, we need to resort to this plan or this plan. So I, it, it's a loaded question, right? It's not an easy question. There's no right or wrong. And, and that's why I really, really enjoy asking it, especially at the end of episodes, because, you know, we kind of get to see, kind of walk through it. What's working? What's not working? You know, is your practice working with patients? Is there some people that, you know, need something else? And how do they find that? And then how do they, I guess my biggest thing is like, how do you, how do you educate people that there is a different way to, you know, join your practice or see doctors or go experience and get medical, medical care that they need? I think that's probably the biggest question. And there's an old saying that, you know, a well-defined question is already half solved. And I just think we're asking the wrong questions when it comes to any type of legislative efforts and policy. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Dr. Holly Smith, physician owner of Fiat Family Medicine. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for spending your time with us here on Healthcare Americana. Thanks, Chris. That's going to do it for this episode. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient's employer or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. 
Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.